0: So last year uh, my wife and I had some fresh sod laid at our house. Now I figured that because I had fresh sod rolled out, that my lawn would be easily maintainable, maybe even self-governing, and I'd hardly have to do anything to keep it alive. Fast forward to this past spring, and it turns out I was wrong. My lawn Even though it came from nicely rolled out sod the season before, had lots of brown patches. So I rushed to go ahead and water it because, you know, I'm a dad, you gotta have nice green grass, that type of stuff. I'd walk through the neighborhood, see other people's grass, and Kim would always like tug me along like a dog on a leash and say, stop looking at other people's grass. You know, and I was always like, Why can't I have that nice dark green carpet like they have? Um, And so this is something that got to me. So I started watering my grass. That wasn't good enough. See, the brown spots soon turned to dirt after one too many a trampling from my kid's feet. So, needing some wisdom, I went to my father, a guy who I knew my entire life had nice green grass. Now, growing up, all I had ever seen him do was water it, so I figured that's all I had to do. But obviously, there was some sort of secret trick that I needed to unlock. So I went to him. He gave me a list of things to do. Oh, you've got to have this fertilizer, and you've got to overseed every season, and you've got to have topsoil and rake that in and make sure. And Needless to say, at the end of the day, the message that he gave to me was this. If you take care of the roots, the grass will grow. Maybe today you're finding yourself in a similar situation to me. And I'm, I'm not talking about grass anymore. Maybe you find yourself in a situation in life where you thought that something should have been easily maintainable, maybe even self governing, could kind of just take care of itself. But you're finding out that your expectations have gone unmet. You had a loss. Maybe you've been getting into life and Something's turned out in a way that you couldn't have even imagined or prepared for in any way. And now you're wondering what to do next. Zach has been getting beat down by his new supervisor all week. He is sick and tired of this guy. Work used to be so simple, but everything's changed. Zach goes home, and to escape from the world, Just for a little bit, he drinks himself into a stupor. McKenna just doesn't get it. No matter how hard she tries, she can't seem to get herself to look like the other people she follows online. The other people that she follows online have millions of fans. Yet McKenna wonders if anyone will ever love her. Jim and Sandra were so excited to start a family. Fast forward 10 years. Sandra has told the boys to stop roughhousing in the living room a 1,000 times in the past hour. To escape momentarily, she goes to her room and closes the door, says to herself, why doesn't anyone ever hear me? It's at that time she hears a loud smash with a quiet oops. Life is full of trying situations and choices that we have to make in response to those situations. Sometimes we're left at a loss. Today, we're gonna see a lesson in Proverbs. And within this lesson, we're gonna see about how the wisest man on earth, Solomon, gets to the heart of the issue. And it's a father exhorting his son this lesson, he gives the key for how to understand, foundationally speaking, that one can navigate these situations and choices. The high point of this lesson that we're going to look at today is verse 23 in Proverbs chapter 4. Verse 23 is special. I would say it's the high point of this whole lesson that Solomon is giving because he speaks to what is foundational to all of life, and that is Your heart. Follow along as I read that. Proverbs 4, verse 23. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. So, why soul care? Why do we call the counseling that we want to establish here at the church, soul care. Well, in a simple statement, we could almost say because of this passage. In the second half of this passage, we see that all of life flows from the heart. Thus, if we're ever going to get to the heart of the matter, we need to understand, biblically speaking, what the heart is. First of all, today though, we're gonna create a bit of interest here. Number one, why the heart? Why the heart? Well, a simple answer from today's passage is that Solomon was one of the wisest people who ever lived. And we see that he is placing a high value. He's giving a lesson to his son that he loves and he's placing a high value on, hey, there are two paths in life here that you can go on. And it's vital that you care for your heart because that will determine the path that you go on in life. Look at that passage again with me, Proverbs 4, 23. Keep your heart with all vigilance. That word vigilance is huge. The original language takes that word, and the main meanings that we get from that word would be, the, the word that actually keeps coming up is prison, having like a prison keep or placing something under a high-priority prison watch. So when we look at that word in that passage, keep your heart with all vigilance. That means that with the highest of priorities and with all effort, take care of your heart. It's vitally important. Why else should we focus in on the heart? Well, because we see God places a huge priority on the heart all throughout the Scriptures. In the Old Testament, we have a passage up here for you. 1 Samuel 16, 7, okay? The the children of Israel are going through. They're going to pick their king and whatnot. And what does the Lord say to Samuel? But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward, I think we all know that to be true, but the Lord looks on the heart. We also see it riddled throughout the New Testament in Jesus' earthly ministry. Now, for sake of time, I can only give a snapshot of how important Jesus views the heart, but I thought it would be cool to just look at, we've been going through the book of Mark with Pastor Jake, so I just have a few little tidbits from the book of Mark of when Jesus is focusing in on the heart. Um, I don't have those up on the screen, but I'll paraphrase. In Mark 2, verse 8, Jesus is dealing with the paralytic man, and the people are getting angry that Jesus is going to heal him and that he was going to forgive his sins. And Jesus questioned the people and said this, why do you question these things in your hearts? Not just why do you question these things, but why do you question them in your hearts? Then in Mark 3, 5, Jesus is dealing with the man with the withered hand. Remember, Jesus wanted to heal him on the Sabbath, and the the religious elite were having a hard time with that. And with anger and with a, a grieved spirit, Jesus almost marveled, it says, at the what? The hardness of their hearts. The fact that these people, the religious elite, wouldn't allow somebody to be healed on the Sabbath. Mark 7, 6, once again, dealing with the Pharisees, Jesus quotes from Isaiah, and he says this about the Pharisees, he said, these people honor me with their lips, but watch this, but their hearts are far from me. One more and done. Also, Mark 7, verses 14 through 23, Jesus is teaching about what is it that actually defiles a man? And this is that passage, maybe you're familiar with it, where people are talking about the meats that you can eat and can't eat, because what you put in you could defile you. And Jesus says, it is not the things that are outside of a man that he puts into himself that defiles him. Jesus goes on to say this. He says, for from within, out of the heart, a man comes evil. That backs up what we're learning in Proverbs 4.23, that life comes out of the heart. And in Mark 12, the first and great commandments, what does Jesus really want? What does God want of us? Mark 12, verse 30 and 33. The great command is this that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart. So, why are we talking about the heart today? Man, because God thinks it's important. And Solomon, the wisest man on earth, said that it's the key and that all of life flows from it. God is all about your heart. He loves you. He wants your heart. And therefore, you must keep, protect, and nourish it above all else. So now we know that the heart is important. But what exactly is the heart, biblically speaking? All of us would look at the heart and say, well, yeah, um, this whole time you've been talking about heart. Obviously, it's important. It keeps us alive, right? It pumps the blood through the body. But the Bible's not talking about just the organ when it's talking about the heart in all these passages. It's talking about something deeper, something deeper in your inner man. The ancient Greeks and Romans thought that the great struggle of life was between this, the mind and the passions, one being in the soul, and the other one they thought resonated somewhere in the body. And that if they were going to have strength, uh, courage, self-control, anything good in life, they thought that they needed to stuff their emotions down. That's where our stoicism comes from. Nothing can touch me. Nothing can affect me. The emotions are stuffed down. Therefore, everything is within logical reason. Today, for those of us living in today's modern culture, we would know it's basically the opposite. Who you feel that you are at a deep level is who you really are. And anybody who tries to hold you back from what you feel you are is actually being toxic. And we should stay away from those people. And who you feel that you are is what you need to let out. Because the height of today's culture is that we must have self-expression and self-realization. However, the Bible doesn't teach any of these two viewpoints. The Bible teaches, and we're gonna put it up on the screen here for you, the Bible teaches that the heart is broken up into three parts. And now I'd also say this they're equal parts. No one is supposed to be on the driver's seat ahead of the other one. They are three equal parts. When you look up the word heart, or what gets translated to the word heart in the Bible, you will find all of these different things the mind or thinking, affections or desiring, or the will with choosing. I got the passages for you, so I'm going to pull them out here. Matthew 9, 4, for the mind or thinking. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For affections are desiring. Matthew 6, 21, uh, the Bible says this, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And for will or choosing. Second Corinthians 9, 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So our heart is broken up into these three equal parts. And as our passage today teaches us, Proverbs 4.23, all of life flows from your heart. Paul David Tripp said it this way, and he's the only one that can say it this way. He said this about the heart. Your heart is the causal core of your personhood. (laughs) The heart is the causal core of who you are as a person. Sometimes you might ask the question, why did I do that that way? Why did I respond that way? Why did things turn out that way? Look no further than your heart, because from it flow the springs of life. So now we know why the heart is important. We know, biblically speaking, what the heart is and what it's capable of. But lastly, today and where we'll spend a majority of our time, how does one keep the heart? Because that's what this passage starts out with. Let's look at the passage again. Proverbs four twenty-three. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. That word keep there is uh, used in its original language. The number one use that you'll see in the scriptures is that that word is used in the context of keeping a vineyard or a garden, Hence all the little things about the lawn and the garden work today. Keep your heart with all vigilance. So pairing together, we have that word vigilance is, man, above all else, this is important. Take note of this. Solomon is speaking to his son. Son, please understand this is vitally important. All of life is going to come from this. Keep it as your number one priority. Keep your heart. Because everything in life is going to flow from it. Now, in terms of speaking about horticulture once again, I, as I have already proven, I, I'm not the green thumb type. Um, me and Kim have a, a running joke in our family that we cannot keep green things alive. Plants come to our house to die a slow and painful death. Um, we've had no luck with animals. All the fish in the fish tank died. Um, I ran over our dog one, one year. Um, the only thing that we can keep alive in our house is our children somehow, okay? Um, we have no luck with anything else. But, I do know a little bit about uh, trees. Say you have an apple tree, and you are a little self-conscious about the fruit on that tree. because When the neighbors walk by, they see your tree, and the apples are bruised, bumped, withered. So one day, you pick all the nasty ones off, you go out to the store, and you buy a couple boxes of beautiful crisp apples. You bring that box home and you pull the apples out and one at a time, you staple them to your apple tree. Now, for all the people walking by, they're going to look at your tree and say, they're doing something right. Because from a distance, it looks like you got it all together, right? But you know in your heart of hearts that a week or two from now, those apples that you just stapled on there are going to look like the ones that were on there a week or two before. Why? Because they're not actually flowing out of the life-giving source of that tree. In the Christian life, it's the same. Simply tackling, uh, stapling on new behaviors, habits, characteristics, trying harder to do the Christian life, Putting things on so it looks good to the people that walk by. Man, that stuff's not going to last. It's going to be like those apples that have been stapled on. Because they're not connected to the source of your heart. There's no life going into those attributes that you're looking to have. Behaviors and characteristics of the human life, as Proverbs 4.23 say, it comes from your heart. And therefore, keeping, tending, nourishing your heart is of utmost importance, because all of life is going to flow from it. Next, we have another slide up here. This one, once again, gives the example. You'll see the tree. um, And down below it, it shows a root system. Remember the lesson that we got from dad about the lawn. If you take care of the roots, it'll grow. I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I'm so focused on the way my apples look, spiritually speaking, that I don't take care of my root system. Shouldn't have lost it on the kids like that again. Shouldn't have spent that much time at work. The family needs me. shouldn't be so focused on if the house is looking nice. Sometimes I got to invest in the relationships instead. Man, I really need to try harder at that. I need to try. And it can go back and forth so much on so many things. Really shouldn't have honked the horn that long at the guy that cut me off. I mean, a little beep is OK, but that long holding on to it. Man, I need to work on that. Trying harder is not the key. We have to take care of the root system. Luke 6, verses 43 through 45 say this. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. Watch this. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Paul Tripp put it this way. Have you ever said, I didn't mean to say that. That one slipped. Uh, look, I got caught up in the emotion of the moment. I was angry. I had a long day. And I didn't mean to say what I said. What we actually need to be saying is, sorry for saying what I meant. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Well, man, you would understand. I'm, I'm sorry that I did that. But if you knew the day I had, remember it is not from what comes without on the outside that defiles a man, it's what comes from within. Well, you know, ever since she started hanging out with that friend group over there, things have really gone south. Ever since they started going to that church, we like to place blame on all these other things. The day we had, the people we hang around, all these things, and those do have occasional factors, but they are not the because of the problem that's going on in your life. The Bible clearly teaches that all these things come from the heart. Remember about the lawn. If we take care of the roots, it'll grow. For us as Christians, if we take care of the heart, then we'll grow. Now the big question is this though. So how do we go about nourishing our hearts as Christians. 2 Corinthians 3.18 holds a good answer, I think. And we all with unveiled face, watch this, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed. Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed. Into what? Into the same image. And watch this, there's patience now from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is in, in the Spirit. Now this verse is rich, okay? This could be a whole other message just coming out of this one. But how are we transformed? How do we nourish the roots? How do we get changed positively in the Christian life? By beholding the glory of the Lord. What are we changed and transformed into? Him. Him. We look like him. And then, unfortunately, incrementally, one degree to another, we would love for our Christian life to be like, boom, believe, everything's good. It's kind of like this, though, in the Christian life. When you're born into a family, have your parents ever said this? For me, it was, hey, ongers don't behave that way. Has anybody ever heard that before? Put in your family name, and hey. People in this family, we don't behave that way. When you're born into that family, you are already a child of that family. You're as much a family member in that family as anybody else, but maybe you weren't behaving like it quite yet. And it was over time and with your parents' teaching and instruction and a whole lot of patience and prayers, I'm sure, that you started acting like a member of that family. Do you know that the family of God is a little bit the same? When God sees you and he looks at your heart, He sees, hey, if you've accepted him as your savior, he looks at you and says, that's a member of my family. That's a part of my family. He's got me on his heart. But maybe it's just that we need to become a bit more of who we already are. And we slowly develop as God sanctifies us over time. And that's why I love the end of that verse again. Um, It's still up there. this comes from the Lord who is spirit who changes us who's responsible for the work of sanctifying us or making us more like him who brings us along who is the author and finisher of our faith Jesus the Lord he's the one that brings us along patiently lovingly says hey you're part of this family you already belong in this family But well, let's bring you along a little bit and it's God that does that work in our hearts The transformation of the Christian heart doesn't come from trying harder, making new habits, and stapling more pretty apples on the tree every so often so that things look good. Transformation in the Christian heart solely comes when we behold the glory of the Lord. It's when we behold him and see him in all his glory that we'll be motivated that he'll do that change, that he'll bring that heart there. St. Augustine said the life he found was mostly about people having disordered loves, is what he called it. And Martin Luther was an Augustinian monk. He followed Augustine's writings. He found something similar. He said, everyone seems to be in a path of deep darkness and following that path down into... Self-absorption. The problem tends to be with us is that we have disordered loves. We tend to love ourselves. It's the honest truth. But beholding the glory of the Lord can change you. You say, this is all a bit too much. I still don't know the way. Like, how did you do this practically? Back in the New Testament, the disciples were following the Lord, and before the Lord was about to go uh, do his final mission on earth, die on the cross and ascend back into heaven, the disciples had a final question. Now, it had been three years of following the Lord at this point, and they still didn't quite have it down, so don't beat yourself up too much today. But one of the disciples asked the Lord and said, well, Lord, if you're going to heaven, we don't know the way. How do we get to you? Now this is a significant question. Before this point in history and after this point in history, every leader has had to only be able to say, I can point you to the way, I can show you the way, follow me and I'll go the way with you, but not Jesus, he's different. Jesus answered back to his disciple and said, Not, I'll show you the way. I'll point you in the right direction. Jesus said this, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. Nobody else has been able to say that or ever will. Only Jesus. And it's because of what Jesus did in his heart on the cross that we even have the ability to know who He is and to have transformation in our heart. It's because when Jesus went to the cross, he took on that deep darkness. He took on all the darkness in the world. He took on all that self-absorption. He took on every nasty thing that people would ever do. and he took it to the grave and paid for it through his work on the cross. You see, it was Martin Luther, when he saw that in Jesus and what Jesus had done, it changed him forever. Up until this point, Martin Luther started out an unbeliever. He became a monk because he felt bad about his situation, but he realized that even when he became a monk, he said, well, well now I'm going to confession, but I'm doing it because I want to feel better about myself. Now I'm giving to the poor, but I'm doing it because it makes me feel better about myself. Now I'm being humble because humble people are the best people, not like you proud people. He realized that everything he was doing, even that would look good on the outside, just like that passage, honored the Lord with their lips and on the outside, but in the heart, it was far from the Lord. When Martin Luther noticed what Jesus had done for him, that Jesus had gone to the cross, he paid for all that deep darkness. And Luther was able to behold the glory of the Lord. And it gave transformation forever. This is why God time is vitally important. We talk about the 5G life around here sometimes. We talk about pillars of the church, whatever we're calling them these days. We talk about one of the Gs being God time. Now, it's going to be super cliche for me to say this, but some things are cliche for a good reason. If we're going to behold the glory of the Lord, we need to get in his word. We need to pray. We need to have time and activities that point us to him. It's because of God and his word that we're even able to know about that story from John 14 where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If we didn't have this word and time in it, we wouldn't even know that. God has given us his word. God has said we can boldly approach him in prayer. Understand that this is the path to life. This is the fertilizer. Specifically, as Dad would say, triple 16. This is the overseeding. This is the nice, dark, black topsoil that you rake in. It's time spent with God, beholding Him in His Word. Practically, we have some resources in the Soul Care Ministry that we could give each and every one of you if you'd like it. We have this little bookmark that teaches you about the HEAR method, it's called, of journaling the Bible. H-E-A-R. H, highlight a single verse for the day that really stuck out to you. E, explain it in a way that's practical for you, but also in its context. A apply it in a way that is something manageable for you to work on that day, and respond to the Lord and pray in a way that is asking for His help in the matter. You know, for me, I started out doing this. um, I've just started this this year, honestly. And I've journaled through the book of Proverbs this year. And the way I always started out, my application was always, I need to do this better, that better, this better, that better. Oh, I should work on this. My, my consistent go-to seems to be to try harder, but that's not God has called us to, is it? Over time, being in God's word, I realized that any change is gonna happen, it's gonna come from Him, and it's gotta be at the heart level. And I'm a long way off from where I need to be but my application section for the here journaling method is now this. Lord, please help me with blank. And I can only tell you that the dependence that creates on the Lord and beholding him for who he is, that he's the only one that can help me in my situation. It's helped a lot. Not perfect, but it's helped a lot. And if any of you would like that bookmark that shows how to do that journaling method, it also has a prayer starter section on the bottom of it. The Soul Care Ministry would be happy to print that out and get that to anybody here if you're interested. You can feel free to email me, uh, cody at rbcst.tom's.ca, or you can also do first initial, last name, C Unger. Okay? And we'd be happy to get that to you if that would be a help to you. Closing today, for those of you who are wondering, my lawn is doing a lot better these days. It's almost what it needs to be, except for this one spot where a dog peed. That part is nice and crispy and brown now. But everything else is nice. Remember the lesson. If you take care of the roots, it will grow. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Let's pray. Dear God, Lord, you are the only one that can help us. And Lord, I am thankful that you have made a way. Lord, you are the way to life. Lord, you are the truth. Lord, you, you cherish us. You cherish our hearts. Lord, would you help us to nurture today? Would you please feed us at the soul level? Now, Lord, things are going to look a lot different for everybody here. If you're sitting there today... And you're just wondering, well, how do I start? Could you just start today with a prayer right now? Right there in the pew. Close your eyes. Bow your head and ask God, Lord, would you just teach me how to abide in you? Lord, would you teach me how to seek you? Let that be the prayer of your heart right now. God is patient. He's loving. He's kind. He wants your heart. And He loves you. So He wants you to have a healthy one. Would you just ask God today, Lord, please teach me how to follow You. Teach me how to be nourished from Your Word. Lord, please teach me how to keep my heart. Lord, if it's so important, then please, I'm open. Teach me. And let that be your simple heart's cry to him today. Lord, I pray that you'd be glorified today. I pray that people would thirst for you, hunger for you. And Lord, would you be their satisfaction as well. Lord, we cannot find nourishment in anything else but you. Everything else is temporary. Everything else is stapling the apples on the tree. But Lord, you feed the roots and you give life from the ground up, from the inside out. Lord, help us to lift you high. Help us to behold you. Help us to see you in all your glory. Teach us, Lord, to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.